Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Welcome to this week's episode of Best Camp of My Life, a podcast about MMA. Kind of, but not really, but kind of. I'm your host, Fernanda Prates, unless you believe those texts that still lie secretly within the pyramid of Snefru. In which case, I'm still your host, Fernanda Prates, and that I was born under that name and I do host this podcast, but I am also not entirely your host, Fernanda Prates, in that I may or may not also be merely the chosen vessel for the return of a minor, but particularly vindictive ancient Egyptian deity looking to fulfill an apocalyptic prophecy. But I wouldn't worry too much about that if I were you. I mean, yes, maybe I do possess unimaginable powers and a well of wisdom so deep that even all of your brightest scholars combined couldn't begin to tap into my brain power. But I still kind of like you feeble heathens. Also, I'm sure there are things we can do to placate my millennial old ire. I mean... I don't know much about how these things actually work, but I guess a few lavish offerings wouldn't hurt. Maybe some light worshipping. A couple of monuments erected on my behalf, perhaps? I don't know. Just a thought. In any case, we don't really have to think about all of that now. Even if the prophecy really is correct, we've still got a couple of years before our fiery doom. In the meantime... I am still merely Fernanda Prates, thinker of thoughts, writer of writings, and the main culprit of whatever this is. I may not look like much, or sound like much, or frankly be much, but one thing that I am is reliable. Come rain, shine, or periodic falls into the deepest pits of hopelessness and human despair, I always show up here every week to bring you thoughts, musings, takes, and when I'm feeling benevolent, special participations by kind and clearly overqualified guests. And today, my friends, I am feeling particularly benevolent. For this episode, you are being treated to the illuminating presence of none other than Julie Ketsy, former fighter and matchmaker, current writer and commentator, and frankly, one of the coolest people you will ever meet. Ketsy was a pioneer in women's MMA before retiring in 2013 and eventually pursuing and obtaining an MFA in nonfiction writing from the University of Iowa. Ketsy can now be found in Invicta FC's commentary booth, where she will be this Friday for the promotion's Access TV debut, and on Twitter where she's constantly addressing issues of oppression and injustice and taking down assholes who have a problem with that. Anyway, here's our chat. Enjoy it or don't, just keep in mind there are limits to the mercy of an all-powerful, all-knowing, ancient entity. 
So before we start today, I just want to be honest with you all and confess that I may or may not be looking at this episode as yet another step in fulfilling my lifelong dream of starring in my own buddy cop movie with my favorite MMA fighter turned writer <laughs> of all time. Uh, welcome to the podcast, Julie. Hi, thank you for having me. Uh, I'm, so I'm glad to be doing so this excited. And also, I would love to do a buddy cop movie. I feel like we could do that, but like more progressive, like not involving mm-hmm. actual cops and just us like, I don't know, fighting trolls, maybe. Yeah, like a, oh, mix, I'm down for it. <laughs> a mix between that uh, bully beatdown show and like a buddy cop movie. I feel like you do obviously the physical violence part. And I don't I'll know if I'm good at know. that. <laughs> I, I think I'm better at being a troll these days than I am actually fighting or being physical. I feel like even out of practice, you're probably a lot better than the average human. <laughs> uh, well, we have a lot to discuss. I want to get to, there's obviously a big title fight in Bellator. We have the UFC. We have an Invicta FC card coming up this weekend. But I wanted to start this episode with a very chill theme, very light, very casual, um, but, but like not at all. <laughs> I kind of... I wanted your opinion on something, Julie, as a former fighter who now okay. has sort of a different eye for the sport. Um, just this past weekend, you, we had UFC 262, and there were a multitude of storylines coming out of that. But I think one thing that really stuck was the way that um, both Tony Ferguson and uh, Jacare ended their fights there I'm not retiring them, by the way. Everybody listening at home, I hate doing that. I don't think it's my place to retire professional fighters. But I think what happened and the way that they lost and it just it reignited sort of that conversation about sort of fighter decline. And I think what is a recurring theme in MMA, which is knowing when to stop. Um, mm-hmm. You're probably a lot more familiar with that conversation than I am. But right, it's so common for us to, you know, collectively decide when a fighter is supposed to retire and have these conversations as if, you know, the moment to quit is just this obvious uh, thing, right? We want fighters to quit before they start declining. At the same time, when they retire at the top, like Habib Nurmagomedov recently did, we refuse to accept it too. It's just such a delicate situation. Uh, But what I wanted to hear from you a little bit, Julie, as a retired fighter yourself was... For you, um, when did you, how did that moment moment come about? Like, when did you decide it was time for you to retire? Well, um, I think the moment for me, I mean, I wrote about this a little bit in an essay and I, I took a little mm-hmm. creative license with it. But before I walked out for my last UFC fight against Betch um, mm-hmm. and that was in 2013, it was quite a while ago, uh, I just, I was sick. Like I had this kind of physical or physiological manifestation of just not wanting to do it. It had been in my mind and I'd just been shoving it down. And I was dealing with some mental pressures from my Mm -hmm. personal life. And just, I don't know, it was just like the UFC was the goal, the goal, the goal, the dream. But then once you're in the UFC, it is just another fight. I mean, it's the biggest stage, you know, blah, 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 especially then, right? Like women had only been doing it for a couple of years in the UFC at that point. But to me, it was kind of like... I don't want to do this. And I don't know why. And 
it was, of course, right before the fight, I come to this realization. I actually had horrible diarrhea and was vomiting before the fight. And I had like right before, of, like the day. Off. Yeah. Right before I walked out, I had been since that morning um, after I made weight. And I think it was psychological, but I mean, it may have been food poisoning, to be honest with you. <laughs> but um, I didn't have any beef tartare or anything like it wasn't that. OK, <laughs> nothing exotic. <laughs> yeah, that's, a, that's an old school Diego Sanchez joke. But um, yeah, yeah. For those at home, make we're that. missing it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. For you at home, don't know that one. Um, but the truth is, um, yeah, I was really sick before that fight. And Burt Watson mm. was still with the UFC then. He was always so kind. And he got me an extra bucket for the cage in case I had to throw up. I was just like, I don't know. Oh. I, I might not. And then, but once I said the words, coach, I'm done. This is my last one. I felt better. Not mm. well enough to win in the judge's eyes, but I did feel better, um, physically just better. Like it was like, mm-hmm. it had been building up and building up and building up. And, you know, I'm not somebody who's into the secret or believes the power of the mind is everything, but I do think our minds are very <laughs> powerful. And I think, mm-hmm. you know, I think it had been in my mind that I'd wanted to quit. I had actually been seeing a sports psychologist before that because I was having issues of trusting myself. And a lot of that, I mean, Turned out I needed a lot more therapy than that to deal with you know, the <laughs> stuff that was going on in my life. Took took quite a while, but you know, now at the age of 40 and um, how many years has it been? Seven, eight years after retiring? I can tell you I totally fucking trust myself. Oh, sorry. But <laughs> you can swear. Anyway. This is this is All a right. swear, I can a trust swear my- friendly space. <laughs> I trust myself to fucking trust myself. Um, yeah, but I mean it took a while. And it's interesting because I, I feel like my generation of female fighters, um, it was we didn't really get to make that choice. It was taken from us, right? Mm. So many times from with injuries or just lack of opportunity. And so, you know, like for a fighter who's as established um, as Tony Ferguson is, um, mm-hmm. you know, just to throw that out there, or, or Jacques Array, I mean, Jacques Array's hella established. Um, they, they get to make that choice, but there's factors around them that actually mm-hmm. kind of make that choice for them. So for me, mm-hmm. I was very lucky. Because I got out and then there are definitely been times I wanted to get back in, you know, when, um, uh, shoot, I know I wanted to come back when they were looking for opponents in Japan, um, to okay. fight. Now I cannot believe I forgot her name. I am so all over the place with names right now. Cause I'm doing all this research. So I yeah, for the um, card, I would imagine. Oh, don't Gabby worry, Garcia. I'm- no, it's okay. Gabby, Gabby Garcia. I was like, yeah, I'll come out of retirement. If you, I mean, nobody asked me, I volunteered. I said $300,000 cash. Because I was so poor after you think being a fighter was poor, but I actually had a, you know, a pretty good bubble that I was living in there. But I, I was like, after that, I was just, you know, I, I worked as a matchmaker, but I also went back to graduate school. So in that time mm-hmm. period, I was just massively poor and in debt, still massively poor and in debt. But, um, it, it, I was like, yeah, $300,000 cash. I'll, I'll fight her. And mm-hmm. nobody paid any attention to me because it was a silly thing for me to say. But, you know, and I thought if I did take that fight, I would want to go in and beat her. But I don't feel the desire to do that now at the time. Yeah. yeah. Um, I'm poor now, but I'm I'm past my prime as a fighter. And I think so many female fighters from my generation never got the chance to hit their prime. I was, Mm -hmm. you know, pretty lucky in my circumstances. But what it's interesting that I can say all that. I also had the presence of mind to maybe extricate myself from something that wasn't going to be rewarding for me. I was losing my fights, right? I was in a situation that I wasn't going to succeed at. But mm. when you're in a position like somebody like Ferguson or Jacques Array, where they're actual stars, and mm-hmm. I've never been a quote-unquote star. Like, I, I, I'm i not saying that 
as a way to denigrate myself. It's just, I've never been a star. And, and I, there's, I, I shine in different spheres or maybe smaller solar systems than they do, but it's the people at the top that have to make that decision better for them. Right. I mean, you can't tell a person you're no longer allowed to fight, but yeah, you can, or you can make it easier for them to make that transition so that when, or if they suffer some kind of horrific injury that pushes everyone to the brink of saying, Hey, it's time for you to be done. Then they, uh, they have a way to get there and still feel like a valid person. I mean, so much of fighting is placing all of your A's in this basket and just, this mm-hmm. is who I am as a person. I'm a fighter. I don't know myself mm-hmm. beyond this. Um, so, you know, for them, I don't know either one personally, but mm-hmm. I know that there's no cushion for them to, to transition out. You know, there's at least it, it just doesn't seem real to me or it doesn't seem visible to me that there's going to, you know, maybe they'll get commentary jobs or something. You know, I was mm-hmm. very lucky in that I had a commentary job before I retired, but I don't know. It, it's, it's difficult to say. And I think that yeah. as MMA moves on to the future, hopefully promotions can work towards making that transition easier better. or smoother. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Cause that's what I was going to ask. Cause you, you mentioned you already had sort of the commentary gig and you were um, already going into grad school. Like you had these other, if not necessarily built careers already, um, but these, ideas or plans or like aspirations that you could uh, fall back on. And just as a quick aside for our our listeners, like I still personally think that Tony Ferguson can beat a lot of UFC lightweights. Uh, I still think Jacare is an elite uh, fighter. I'm not saying, you know, they should retire. They're done. I'm just saying that this is what we saw last weekend to me was kind of that reminder that uh, fighters are people and people age. And we have to sort of <laughs> understand that process as a natural thing. But going back to to what you were saying, I feel like, you know, you had s- these other things to focus on. And that's a quote unquote luxury that not a lot of fighters have, right? Like, and no, you- it's, yeah, it's not a luxury that they have. I'm sorry, I cut you mm-hmm. off. No, 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 um, that's it. But, you know, it's not a luxury they have. And it's also, they don't have the luxury to talk to people to help them through that. Or I don't actually mm. don't know either one of them personally at all. But yeah. I but like say a lot that, of fighters. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, not to trumpet toxic masculinity or anything like that, but there is something tied up in your manhood and your ability mm-hmm. to walk into the cage and prove to everybody, you know, um, there is with your womanhood too. I shouldn't say that, but I think it's less tied in with, mm-hmm. it's definitely tied in with your uh, sense of self, but yeah. Image is odd when it comes, yeah. To like so. the sort of the idea of the male ego and being a fighter. Like I feel like that's a more specific relationship. I understand what, mm-hmm. you, yeah. what you're saying. Uh, but you did say something like, oh, I, I now it's something that I think you might have the presence. You, you said you had the presence of mind of realizing that you were not in a, a situation that was necessarily setting you up for success or that was going to turn out well for you. But was it, is it something, because that's a common conversation for us non-fighters, right? We look Mm -hmm. at a fighter who is in a bit of a slump and at least me, what I think about when I'm looking at it's like uh, this fighter who's living in at that moment might not realize 
um, that this is a decline necessarily, or that they're, you know, like that they're not setting themselves up for success anymore because it takes, it's easier for an outsider to look and it's easier uh, to look at that with sort of a little bit of hindsight. So did you realize at the time when you had the losses, like, was it something that you thought, okay, maybe I'm just never going to be a champion or was that still in you? Like the idea that I, I, I still can be a UFC champion. Like if I can get through this. I don't, it's such a good question because we edit our history so much, Mm -hmm. right? In in retrospect, I mean, I I honestly don't know if I could have been. You know, there's there's times when I think if I had won that strike force fight, I think I would have been the next candidate for Ronda Rousey. It wouldn't have been, um, I think, you know, when when Rousey debuted in the UFC, um, I thought I would have been a really good candidate had I won that fight, had I, you know... um, instead of Liz Carmouche, that could have been me. And so sometimes Mm -hmm. I I thought that way. It's a dangerous way of thinking because you can't go back and change the past. And it also opens the door to, would I have been any better? Like, Mm -hmm. I mean, not than Liz Carmouche, I mean, than I am now. Would I have been any better? Would I be more satisfied? Or, you know, would I be running in place? And I, uh, we really, it's a weird mentality. Human beings always try to protect themselves, right? We always try to protect Mm -hmm. ourselves and create narratives that we're going to, this is how it is. This is the way it's going to be. And fighters have to do that in such a strange and such a tailored way that Mm -hmm. you really can't, as much as I, I had self doubt, I had this, I had that, those self doubts weren't self sabotage. Like, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, it's weird for me to say that. And again, I could be editing myself. It was self sabotage in terms of, I never wanted to kill people. I never wanted to be killed. I didn't, you know, I wanted to listen to what everybody told me and, and do things the way I was instructed, do them, present myself a certain way instead of doing what my instincts were. Um, but I mean, at the time I was undiagnosed ADHD, you know, mm-hmm. I had some issues with, ish, uh, with anxiety and depression. And I always kind of was able to put that aside for that gym time. And I don't know if that's a, you know, the physiological thing with the endorphins or whatever. Um, I don't know. Uh, mm-hmm. I know I drank very heavily when I was done. I'm, I still drink too much, but I, you know, when I was done, I, like there <laughs> was some two of us. stuff, <laughs> definitely some stuff I had to work through in that. And I was just so sad. And until I got mm-hmm. into graduate school and I found that other mountain to climb, uh, you know, I was working as the Invicta matchmaker and it was fulfilling, but it was also not fulfilling to, to where my mind was geared. I, I speak in circles. I write in circles. Like it's, you know, and you have to be very straightforward. You have to have a, a different mentality. And oh, so yes. when I was matchmaking, um, I, I just wanted everyone to win every fight and I wanted to give everybody <laughs> all the fights and I just, and it just doesn't work out that way. Right. Like you just see somebody yeah. get a title and you're just beaming for them and you love them and you see their opponent and your heart is completely broken for them. You know, and it's, it's interesting because whether or not I liked people individually, that, I know I got shit for not liking people or this or that, but I, I honestly, it, that never came up. It was just like, I don't want anyone to lose. I don't want, you know, it's like, I never tried to hold anybody back. I just couldn't give everybody the opportunities they wanted. Um, yeah. And because I wasn't geared for that. Um, yeah. I was geared for the narrative for the story, which is why commentary mm-hmm. is a much better fit for me. You need like a certain level, right. Of emotional, detachment not to call matchmakers sociopath. like i know personally at least uh i used to know joe and, and sean and mick and i think they're mm-hmm. lovely people <laughs> but i think oh. you do need some level of like emotional detachment to be able to see it as a business and not like as mm-hmm. a not take it as personally right 
Yeah, it's interesting. I I absolutely loved Joe Silva and Sean Shelby mm-hmm. um, when I had interactions with them outside of matchmaking. I mean, it, matchmaking me, it was Sean and, you know, I would have done anything for him. I would have taken any fight, but I only got two opportunities and blew them both. Mm-hmm. So. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was, I was there before Mick Maynard, but yeah, they're lovely human beings and they have to make decisions. You have to make decisions for the good of the card and for the good of the mm-hmm. company and, yeah. you know, your friends can't be your friends and you're, you know, and I know, God, I got so much shit on the forums for like being biased in this and that. And I'm just like, guys, I'm, I'm going where there's talent. I'm going, like, <laughs> I'm doing what I have to do in the time that I'm doing it. But when you come from fighting and you become a matchmaker, it doesn't matter who you are, or where you come from, they're going to find a way to tie it and a way to cut you down because the matchmaker isn't supposed to be human, you know? So mm-hmm. you're supposed to be you know, the person putting things together and not having emotions about it. And I'm very bad at not having emotions about things. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, One can relate to that. Absolutely. (laughs) I always think about it. Like, Whenever I'm watching, I think it's funny. Just yesterday, I was watching a documentary. Uh, and Alex gave me a documentary that's on HBO, by the way, about like the war on drugs. Uh, not not the war on drugs necessarily, but like opioid addiction. This is a big right. uh, digression from the theme of this episode. But just no, it's okay. really, <laughs> a really interesting. It's a part of fighting. Yeah, it's a, it, yeah. yeah it, it's just an interesting like built documentary, and we were you know, with a lot of people talking about their sides on that situation, because it really is about the Sackler family and Purdue and the like sort of how the opioid addiction in the U.S. was sort of in a way architected. And I was just talking about it like I couldn't literally not do any on one of those jobs. Like I could never be anything from a sales rep to a lawyer because I can't uh, all everything I do in life is so driven by feelings that there are very few jobs that I'm suited for. It's funny because those feelings, they can be, well, actually, I think as a lawyer, you would be fantastic. Um, uh, I don't know as a sales rep, I'd buy anything from you, but you know, <laughs> <laughs> but I, 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 it's funny because people who are able to turn their emotions, they're like to channel into that drive and that passionate output. Mm-hmm. That's incredible. Um, you know, but then I, you know, what am I basing this on? Like watching lawyer movies? I don't know. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Me too. I, I can't like, uh, what was it? Seinfeld, like Kramer says, you know, I was almost a lawyer. Uh, I was never almost a lawyer, so I don't know. Uh, but yeah, <laughs> I actually was going to law school. Then I discovered MMA. I was, um, I worked in the law library and I worked for at Indiana university. I was like in there mm-hmm. all the time. I had taken classes. They let me sit on a constitutional law class and it was awesome. And I loved it. But then I like lost my virginity to a law student and hated all of them. And thought they were awesome, <laughs> <so>. <laughs> for real. Like that's, that's what turned you off to law. I, I don't think it was that. It's like, I lost my virginity to one and then ended up dating his friend. And then I was who, you know, broke my heart. And I was like first boyfriend heartbreak. And I was just like, I don't want to be at this place with these people, even though they're only here for three years. Like, <laughs> the material was amazing, but the, the people receiving it, you know, it's, it's funny cause they're younger than I am now. Right. And I just saw them as like all older and sophisticated and stuff. And I'm just, you know, now I look back, I'm like, you yeah, God, I was a kid. They were kids. I mean, I was 19, um, which is kind of crazy. I was a late bloomer. 19 is but, a kid, right? <laughs> yeah. 19, 19 is honestly, a kid. Honestly, till 30, you're a kid. And yes, yeah. more so if you're a dude, I think. 
but right and that's also the I, process of like growing up you look at you see a person who's in their 30s and they look very sophisticated and then you get in your 30s and you're like they were not sophisticated at all i was fooled I <laughs> Well, they had know. no idea what they were doing. I'm 31 and I'm like very unsophisticated. Like this oh, is God. not. Yeah. It's so funny. Cause like, what is sophisticated? I see. I think you're so glamorous. Like you always have the cool Instagram pictures and stuff. And I'm like, I'm always these days taking pictures of the dogs or putting a filter on mine. Cause my face I'm 40. I'm not supposed to be breaking out like this anymore. I don't know what the hell, but, <laughs> but it, it is funny how we project all that. Like mm-hmm. in Iowa, I was, um, I resent the Bernie bros because I actually really liked Bernie, but I went to mm-hmm. one of his rallies during the caucuses. I caucused for him and stuff. And I was a huge Elizabeth Warren fan. I don't care if you people mm-hmm. at home are calling me a communist, whatever. Fuck you. But oh, anyway, if they're yeah, listening to this, they're not yeah. like the, the people <laughs> who listen to my podcast are just, we're well beyond that at this point. Yeah. yeah. This is number 30 guys, dirty 30. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, I, I saw AOC and like, I ended up, I came there alone and, they saw me alone and put me on the stage with a sign for Bernie, which was hilarious. And then he never, he couldn't show up because he was voting okay. um, on something. And so AOC came in in his place and I saw her and I was like, oh my God, this woman is like a decade younger than me. And she is so poised and so passionate and so incredible. I just totally fell in love with her. Um, that was incredible. But I was just like, how the hell, what the hell have I done with my life? What have I done with I, my, look at this. <laughs> I'm going to go ahead and guess that we always kind of feel that way. Uh, The more I become an adult, which I refuse to believe I am uh, to this very day. uh, I feel like that's the sort of feeling we all get. I'm going to go ahead and guess. Because like, if you feel like you've got shit together, I think you're a psychopath and I don't like you. Like, that's just my, (laughs) my, like, if you tell me you have things together, I'm just going to assume you're going to try to get me into some like multi-level marketing shit. (laughs) <laughs> so, yeah, exactly i i kind of uh, agree with you yeah <laughs> going back to though the feelings though because one thing i'm mm-hmm. always curious about um that i wanted to ask you about like so now you are a commentator you're going to be back on the booth this weekend and we'll get to that in a little bit but you know you're a commentator now you were a matchmaker for a bit you were a fighter for a long while you're a writer uh you are a person with feelings we've established. Mm-hmm. How do you, and, and, and you're a person who's aware, right? Like at this point, I think all of us are aware of sort of the systems uh, around fighting, mm-hmm. right? We understand mm-hmm. how much, how exploitative it still is, uh, mm-hmm. even though we've come a long way and how, you know, what it really means to fighters and the physical and emotional impacts in the life of a fighter. So, you know, you take all of this and you now a former fighter who talks about fighting, uh, how do you watch MMA? Is it a painful experience for you? Do you project things when you're watching a fight? Like, uh, what do you experience? I know it's kind of abstract, but like, what do you experience emotionally when you're watching an MMA fight? You know, when I'm commentating, I feel excited and I love it, but it's also like, I need to communicate what's going on. Like it is kind of one of my mm-hmm. favorite things in the world is just to talk about what's happening in a fight. Mm-hmm. Because when I, when I think out loud is usually when I'm the most successful at communicating or I'm the most authentic at communicating. But yeah. when I'm watching fights by myself, I almost always want to know the results beforehand. I'm not, it's mm-hmm. not entertainment to me. 
I mean, it is live. Like, I'm not going to say I haven't gone to in the past when, you know, they would give me tickets, uh, go to UFC fights and scream obnoxious things and like, stand them up. (laughs) I loved doing that, like just being ridiculous. But um, that was obnoxious because I didn't have to think of the fighters as people when they were fighting then. But when, you know, it was teammates and friends. I was always on edge. It was always so much harder watching them fight mm-hmm. than it was to fight myself. And fighting was hard. I, it was not easy for me. It was like a thing that I wanted. And the more I had it, the further it seemed from me, if it makes any sense. Um, but mm-hmm. being emotional, I, I used to cry all the time when I watched my teammates fight after I left uh, Albuquerque, you know, when okay. Holly Holm knocked out Rhonda, like, you know, I'd been a huge Rhonda fan, but I, you know, Holly was the bomb diggity. I cried when Tate, beat Holly for the title. I also cried. Um, but again, Tate was so emotional. Like it was such a, a beautiful moment. Like if you disassociate from, you know, Oh, that's my friend, you know, <laughs> that, you know, they just lost her world title, but it still, it was a beautiful, you know, it was a, a, mm-hmm. a real emotional journey to watch that too. Um, but when I think of it in the abstract and I think about the exploitative nature, like you're saying, and I know the bad things that are associated with the sport, I don't, that doesn't really come to mind while I'm watching fights. Mm -hmm. And I think it's because I am open about saying that it happens. I -hmm. don't believe it happens with Invicta as I've been with this company since day one and I've not seen a single Mm -hmm. damn fighter been exploited. I've seen Shannon, she'll give the shirt off her back for fighters. She really will. Mm -hmm. And the times where the company maybe has not seemed like as prosperous or as, as, you know, in your face as it, it could be. Those are the times that she was giving like 130%. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, you know, she was working her ass off then. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, to get us to a place, to get the fighters to a place where they had a platform. So I, I Mm -hmm. I really do love this company. Um, But we don't have as many shows. We don't have a huge budget. I don't actually know the budget. I'm not the matchmaker anymore. So I have no idea what the budget is. But, (laughs) um, you know, it's not, we're not this billion dollar thing, right? We're Mm -hmm. a show that wants to give female fighters a chance and, and, in that, I think the female fighters can recognize that, it, you know, people here care about them. Like, I don't give two mm-hmm. shits what a fighter's politics is, or I don't give two shits what their background is. I want to see them fight. I want to see them succeed. And I mm-hmm. am in the perspective where I get to talk about what's going on instead of, you know, feeling sad about it. I can talk about the technique. Um, I'm getting totally derailed here. But, you know, I, I'm pretty open about I think there should be fighters unions. I think we are an exploitive, mm-hmm. you know, system. And I think it's, it's not great, but it's better than it used to be. And, and, mm-hmm. you know, and get, I mean, credit to the UFC and, and the people who have really worked to make this like a recognizable sport as opposed to an oddity. Right. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, you know, MMA is more than a sport and it's more than entertainment. Clearly it's, there's something going on there where people are giving, of themselves, but they're also taking for themselves. And to me, it's important to recognize that, you know, when you are in a violent sport like this, I think people should know what's at risk. And I think Mm -hmm. people who know what's at risk and are judging fighters for sticking around for too long or for, you know, or not being on the same level and thinking they can beat this champion or whatever. Those people need to understand that these guys choose to do this and, Mm-hmm. it's that choice is super, super important to your life. That's why I, I get worried about there not being uh, 
a safety net out for some of these bigger names or that, you know, their mm-hmm. association of the brand is so much built into this that they, they don't know how to stop doing it. Um, but, and I don't know, the fighters that I interact with here, the, these fighters are incredible. They have careers outside of this, you know, some of them get to train full time and they work in gyms and stuff, but for the most part, they have jobs outside of this and they're still at the point where they're doing you know everything to support that. Is that right for a mm-hmm. professional athlete? I don't know if it's yeah. right or wrong. I honestly don't because you can't train 12 hours a day. Right. And you actually need to let your mind be thinking and doing something else. Like you do have to have something outside of this in order to keep the dream fresh. Um, I don't know if that makes sense. Um, it does. I'd prefer that they all never have to work and train full time, mm. but you get a lot of really boring people that way. <laughs> <laughs> like one of the things I love is that when you get these new kids and you know, they're not kids, they're women, like, but you know, these new athletes out here and they're just kind of new on the stage and they're getting used to it all. And it's, it's, it's cool to see them go through that and get to guide them in a way that they're not rushed around and they're not, I don't know. It's still just about getting here, making weight and fighting and press and Mm -hmm. all of these other things that we do, you know, we, it's done so that their individual light can shine. Now Mm -hmm. it comes down to fight time. It's, it's about being a fighter. It's being the one, you know, who wins, but I do love that about Invicta so much is we've never tried to dampen an athlete's sense of self, you know, I don't, yeah. they, they're always allowed to shine as themselves here. And I think it's mm-hmm. really important that you know who you are when you choose mm-hmm. to do this, you'll be somebody else at the end, but mm. <laughs> it's good to know who you are and you can touch back to that when things get tough or when they get really great. Mm. And it's something you we've talked about in the past. People listening to Bass Camp, uh, Julie was on my previous podcast. Well, actually, and there is also a print story on on the print. How yes. old timey am I? It's not printed. It's on the interwebs, mm-hmm. on your uh, screens uh, for Fanbyte that we recently did. But uh, one thing that you've always sort of talked about with Invicta, not just you, but other people involved involved with the organization was that you know it's a pl- it be, it really appeared as a place where you know it wasn't about cute women or whatever women who happened to actually know how to fight but it was actually about fighters who also happened to be women and that really kind of changes right the way you even look at 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 the action in front of you I, th- I think so. And, you know, in, in one sense, it normalizes it, but in another sense, mm-hmm. it's its own niche area, right? There aren't mm-hmm. other shows like this. There might be all female cards. There might be all female this or all, and that's great. And I think there should be more of those that should happen all the time. Um, and, you know, if guys listen to that, they're like, why aren't they all male? It's just like, there are, like, that's the typical card is all male still, yep. you know, I Absolutely. like hybrid, I like hybrid, you know, uh, fight shows. I, I think, you know, uh, well, I think everybody of gender identification like should you know have a platform at some point, but that's I'm still fighting for the one I'm in right now. I'm still fighting for yeah. women to have equal chances across the board. And Invicta does so much in terms of leveling up to that. You know, I love mm-hmm. it. Uh, since we're talking about Invicta, you're so you're on the booth for this Friday's card, right? Yes, the I first am. on AXS TV. 
Mm-hmm. And it's also not just on um, Axis. Um, where it's Access, on all sorry. our social media. Oh, that's Brazilian okay. I, I, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but it's it's broadcast from our the Invictus YouTube channel all over the world. So anybody can watch this card wherever they are, which, you know, that's it's pretty awesome. But I'd expect no less, you know. We want to make sure it's accessible. And so. it's two title fights, right? Uh, two title Rodriguez fights. and two Brazilians. Karina mm-hmm. uh, Rodriguez who's Mexican. Karina, I kind of know from, so my fiance uh, who has been on the show several times, so people listening know who he is, but he uh, has been talking to me about Karina a few times. This is not actually, she had this, her second, I guess, shot at the title, but she had a weight miss, but she would actually, if she wins, become Invicta FC's first Mexican champion. Because neither Irene nor, yeah, so interesting. Neither yeah. uh, Irene nor Alexa actually became Invicta FC champions. Yeah. Oh, I love um, the way you say their names too. When I I, I try <laughs> to have, I try to say names the right way. It's always stumbling in my mouth. So yeah, no, uh, Karina, I'm I'm really excited to see her fight again. And you know, she's going against. And now, Torcado is. Brazilians, you have to tell me how to say that right because I haven't heard the sound files yet. I've already, you know, I haven't actually commented or commentated for her fights yet. I was supposed to on one card and then it got pulled. So is it Torcado or Tor? How do you say her last name? Diana. Torquato. Torquato. Yeah, if you say it, you can say it Americanized. I'll allow it. Mm -hmm. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, it would sound like Torquato, but you do pronounce the the U. Torquato. Yeah, it makes a qua sound, and uh, it is. Okay, random curiosity. My uh, mom's ex-boyfriend's name. Random Ooh. piece of information that nobody cares about. But yes, the, I would say Diana Toquato and Jessica Jessica Delboni, also another Brazilian in the co-main uh, event against Alicia. That I'm Zapitella. That I might be saying wrong. She's not Brazilian, so I get it. Oh, I got a uh, pass. I think- Zapatella, yeah. <laughs> Zapatella. I get a pass. <laughs> yeah, you totally, you get a pass on everything, yeah. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, so Karina, oh, I'm saying that, so I'm butchering it. Yeah, Karina Rodriguez, I'm not good at that because my tongue gets all twisted up. I'm so damn American. Um, and, and Diana Torquato, that fight is at flyweight for the vacant flyweight title. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm pretty excited about that one. I mean, I don't want to say it's a classic striker grappler fight, but Torquato's like her ground is, she just doesn't want to mess around on her feet. She's kind of gets there, you know? So it's, it's exciting to watch her. And she, and then, you know, uh, Karina is so explosive and just, she's, she's a joy to watch. You know, she'd have that weight cut mishap. Um, mm-hmm. But she's it's fun to watch her I, she's got that thing where she just sets her jaw <laughs> she throws mm-hmm. and you're just like oh and then yeah so and then the adam weight um zapatella is defending her title for the first time um against mm-hmm. delbone now you said delbone not delboni i think i said delboni the last broadcast nonstop, but it's delbone i would say delboni like i would put the emphasis on the bull but that's just me being brazilian I like to hear her say her own. That's a good thing about being Brazilian. Like I just say things in my natural accent and it sounds like I'm saying something great. Um, it's what I do in this podcast a lot. <laughs> That's like, I know. I love it. I've, I, I, see, it's insulting to tell somebody that you fall asleep listening to their podcast, but your voice is so nice. It's like, oh, I don't mean that the content is boring, it, but I, I, <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty sure I'm still subscribed. I'm a subscriber, but I haven't listened to podcasts in so long. All my Apple feed is all twisted up. So yeah, 
I'm no, so I take it as a compliment because I fall asleep listening to my favorite podcast. So like there's something soothing it's, about yeah, it. Like, like, and sometimes I'm I'm like listening to like a podcast about the Iraq war. Like right now mm -hmm. I'm listening to Slow Burn and the season is about the Iraq. War. So like you're just talking about terrible things, but her no. voice just soothes me. So I just fall asleep listening to wars. <gasps> I don't know what that says about me uh, as a person, but it happens. Oh, yeah. No, I I listen to <laughs> civil war books on tape to fall asleep a lot of the time. Like, and I just, you're hearing See? about people dying and slavery and I'm just like, this is perfect. <laughs> just put me in my zone. And it's horrible. It's like, what, what is wrong with me? Like, but there's something about, to me, about history that mm -hmm. is so, I hate to say soothing, but the history of wars, just to know that people aren't awful as a new thing now. We just have better toys. We've always been awful. Yeah. And it's, I don't want that to comfort me, but it kind of does because then you see what good things come of it. Like not come of wars or violence, but how people can have, they can rise to the occasion to such beautiful heights in the worst circumstances, which, I mean, that's, I think what people seek in MMA, right? I mean, I don't think anybody goes out, everybody says, I want to have a war. I'm going to go all five rounds, blah, blah, You know, they, they want to be prepared for that, but you want an easy quick victory right you want to you know stay on top forever and like finishing somebody is the easiest way to know that yeah i'm done it's there um mm -hmm. but at the same time you're torturing yourself up into that point in camp and you love it i mean you're seeking that right you're seeking that kind of pain and that that kind of suffering in order to perfect yourself so i think it says there's a microcosm of the human maybe not a microcosm even but i mean it's the human spirit in action in the cage and i think that's what really draws me to it is um, it's like my war books, but in front of me and nobody dies. <laughs> Hopefully. Oh, don't Hopefully, put that yeah. in the podcast. Take that part out. <laughs> <laughs> on a good day, on the good days and in mainstream promotions, thankfully we have, uh, so far been able to avoid that, but I do, I do absolutely understand what you're saying. Cause I was going to make that connection. I feel like so much of enjoying MMA and I'm actually writing, trying to write a column about it. Cause mm -hmm. like you, I think in circles, like I'm very scattered in my thinking. So whenever I sit down for a column, like I will write a whole thing and not know if I got anywhere. <laughs> I was just like, did I even say anything? I wrote 1500 words, but was something ever said here? I don't know. Let's just uh, put it out there and try it out. Uh, but I think so much of, and this, I have so many guilty pleasures in my life. Like you, I enjoy like, world war content and i think that's a common thing a lot of people enjoy it but like i'm a true crime person like the basic uh, bitch that i am wow, uh and, and, basic. yeah it's cool yeah and in mma i feel like there's also that right because at least for me the viewing experience is so much about balancing those feelings because mm -hmm. as a deeply empathetic person and this is me not having been a fighter like obviously you have a totally different level of of compassion for the people in there but like uh you know for me it's always that balance between enjoying that highlight real knockout uh which is beautiful and seeing a person just drop and you know it's just such a a fascinating thing that a human body can do, like generate that much force. It's just mm -hmm. fascinating. And then at the same time, thinking about that person who's on the floor and like, oh my God, are they going to have to eat through a straw for a month? Like, what did that do to their brains? Like, At least for yeah. me, like every, every fight card sort of involves that 
balancing act in my brain of just like how much I appreciate and I'm fascinated by it. But at the same time, how much I understand I'm a sociopath for enjoying it. <laughs> I don't think you're a sociopath. I think the people who, who pretend that it's not a big deal are the sociopaths. Mm-hmm. Like, I think the people who pretend there's nothing to be emotional about, even in training, like, I'm just like, I, I think it's always going to be a big deal. Pushing yourself should be emotional. Watching something where somebody pushes themselves, mm-hmm. that's how we connect. Empathy is a wonderful fucking gift for this sport. Um, although it can really, like, being sensitive can really make it hard to watch things, right? Like, hell, yeah. I cry it car commercials and so you know somebody <laughs> went a bell you're just like oh my god i'm not gonna recover it's like crack i'm not doing a great job of promoting mma by saying it's like crack but it, you know, <laughs> there's something about this again sport. people who are listening to us today julie they're we're past all of this like we don't we don't have to worry too much. good but there is something about this and it goes back to like being able to quit as a fighter or not, right? Like knowing when it's Mm -hmm. done, you know, because chasing a thrill is almost, I think it's more exciting than achieving a thrill, right? You get the belt and that's amazing. You still wake up the next day, you know, with a Mm -hmm. hangnail or, you know, whatever you, uh, you get beat up. You still wake up the next day. It hurts more maybe, but you still wake up the next day, but you know, Mm -hmm. um, when tomorrow is the next day and tomorrow is the fight or next week is the fight, then every day is more alive, right? Everything is, it's just more real and it's more in focus. Um, that's incredible. I miss that. I, that was a really, really hard addiction to get away from just that believing in tomorrow. And it's not that I don't, but it, it lacks mm-hmm. the, I guess the sharpness that, that my yeah. life did as a fighter. Um, and that's, that's unfortunate, but it's funny because that fuzziness, I don't know, I'm saying sharpness and fuzziness. I hope that makes sense to metaphor, but that fuzziness was also my way of knowing that I could get out, like recognizing, mm-hmm. I mean, when I was, I was injured out with shoulder surgery, I was out for like nine months to a year or something like that. And I mean, for a while I couldn't even really run or do anything because my whole body was just tanked and mm-hmm. I, it's, I started listening to stories like podcasts and stories. And I started really believing in words all of a sudden, and it did not Mm -hmm. make it easy for me to train, but it didn't make it hard. Um, it was like, I don't know how to explain it, but it was just like things had more depth. Um, and yeah, so I didn't have to worry about tomorrow because I had something else. I don't know if that makes sense, but it does. It does. I think writers, and fighters are so much alike. Um, and I think we're all trying to escape shit. <laughs> yeah, that is absolutely true. But that's one thing I always think about when we talk about uh, fighter retirements and uh, why it's such a sort of delicate situation. And that's another conflict for me with MMA and especially being a person who talks about MMA is that, you know, you don't know people personally. So in order to comment on it, you need to come from a you need to speak sort of out of turn. Otherwise you won't have opinions or it takes or thoughts and you need to have those. And at the same time, I think like it involves a lot of empathy and a lot of just being desensitized at the same time. And it's a really fucking crazy thing. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm sure people who write about anything feel the same way, but I write about MMA. So <laughs> tough tits. That's how I feel. <laughs> I love but, it. Tough tits. Uh, what? Tough tits. It's, it's, it's how I, I live my life. But like one thing that, 
always strikes me uh, when we're talking about the idea of fire, fighter retirements, which is kind of a running joke in MMA, right? Like every time somebody retires, we're like, oh, how many months or how much longer until this person unretires? And I understand the joke because it truly is a thing that happens. I don't have the numbers, but statistically, I'm going to go ahead and guess that uh, retirements take a, a few, most retirements take a few tries to stick. But I of, often think about you know, I would imagine you're being in such a an extreme profession, like you said, like it's a cliche to say highest of the highs and lowest of the lows, but it kind of, I would imagine that's how you feel. So it, ha- going from having that in your life, and of course that must come with a shit ton of anxiety and stress, but also the satisfaction of it to having like a, a sort of normal quote unquote life, it must be kind of a, a huge impact, no? like the transition getting used to it oh it's horrible i mean because like i said it's a bubble and it is the highs of the highs Mm -hmm. and lows of lows but it's also just kind of the way you've you've geared your body like you've in in your mindset everything is about that fight um yeah i Mm -hmm. really hard to get out of and the modernity of day-to-day life i think people in this pandemic actually got kind of a taste of what it's like to maybe go from you know a professional fighter going into day-to-day life after that just stopping and then having to deal with being in themselves sometimes alone sometimes not alone but also Mm -hmm. driven crazy by people around them you know there's just something it's a different just kind of entering a different world and it's hard as hell um i i wish there was some sort of transitional like you know, and most people end up still working within fights. Like I stayed within MMA. I, even when I went to graduate school, I, I started graduate school saying, I'm never going to write about fighting. Fuck that. And then I'll write about it. <laughs> but, you know, it's just like you write what you know. You can't get away from it. But, um, yeah, it's it's really difficult. Like, I commend fighters who, who get out of it and stay out of it. But also the ones who go back, I get it. And sometimes they're very successful. Often not. But, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Sometimes it works, but like um, having that thing, like having still being a commentator and the ability to sort of stay involved in fighting, did he help you with the like the transition out of it as as a fighter? I don't know because it's a little bit like keeping your toe in the water, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, it did help me in the sense that I was still like I would be doing all these other things. I, I guess when I stopped matchmaking and I was, I was in grad school and I was surrounded by people who were way better than me at something or way more confident in their ability to do it. So for me, it was like trying to, you know, climb another mountain, but mm-hmm. to, cause I never thought I was a good writer. Um, and they all didn't think I was a good writer. <laughs> my, my mentors did, and my friends did, but you know, it was, there were people who just thought, you know, I mean, they're taking bets that I would drop out within the first semester among my cohorts. So that was nice. Um, but, uh, can't imagine you, such a you know, friendly those, environment. To those be art, art boy types, you know, like they're just actually yeah. not art boys. So they were the art boys when I was in high school, but it was like, these are the intellects and the philosophers, you know, just like, mm-hmm. you know, laughing at you because you have no idea who like brains and bronze time. Yeah. Like they're the brains, yeah. but you know, and it's just like, I got through many a seminar imagining kicking people in the face that helped me a lot. <laughs> and there were times when I really wanted to do it. I was, Oh, I really wanted to fight people there. Um, I was looking at an MMA gym and, but Invicta, I guess to come back to that, like I would drive from Iowa, you know, to commentate a show mm-hmm. and, it would just bring me back into the fella. It's, it's my family. Like 
It really is. I mean, even though, you know, new fighters, old fighters, um, the people I'm working with, it was like a family and it was just like, oh, this is the part of MMA that I never want to leave is the people who will just work for whatever, just to make sure this happens, that people have a stage for this, that they, they have a way to, I don't know, to do what they love to do and to protect them in doing that. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, making sure that the best photos of them come out, the best interviews, the best, you know, really trying to guide them through things and, you know, how they fight is ultimately up to them, but how we present them to the world. I love that about Invicta. I love the fact that it's always going to be an effort to make somebody, you know, look their best, not look their best in terms of makeup or anything like that, but just give what they can mm-hmm. of themselves. Like if you're a quiet person, you want to talk, cool, make that your brand, you know, whatever, but just, you Mm -hmm. know, helping people find what it is they want the world to know about them as fighters. Because once you're on those, you know, more homogenized platforms, well, I think, you know, things have transitioned with Invicta to the point that I hope many people don't go to those homogenized background or uh, uh, platforms, but that's just me. But, you know, once you Mm -hmm. go there, then you, you have to, it's up to you to build your own brand. Like, and you know, it's funny I know I'm all over the place here. I'm really excited about this weekend because of our debut on Access, because of signing with Anthem. And even though I have absolutely mm-hmm. no idea what the business behind it is at all, um, <laughs> I know there's good people, really good people who care because mm-hmm. Shannon wouldn't do business with them otherwise. And so mm-hmm. I'm just, I think it's pretty damn cool that, I don't know, we're like moving into a different sphere here. Do you... Do you get nervous before broadcasts? Like, are you nervous about commentating? Always, always, 100% oh, yeah? always. Yeah, like, huh. um, I love that I have a professional hair and makeup team. Like, I always make jokes about putting on my war paint before the show. And then I'm just mm-hmm. like, I don't know if that's some, I that might be somehow racially insane. I'm not sure, because my people were Irish on my mom's side, and they painted themselves before going into battle. So I feel like there's a reclamation saying war paint. I mean you know, my Irish war paint, but, um, I, I, I would hate if that's offensive to other cultures or anything like that. That's not what I'm trying to say with it. I'm just saying it does give me that kind of armor or, or something, that yeah. protection that I'm entering into a different sphere. It feels so much better to have that done. I don't know how to explain it, except that it's like almost ritual, like cutting weight or something, you know, get the professional hair and makeup, get the stuff. You know, I always yeah. will flub something ridiculous during a take because I try to memorize these things. <laughs> if I just say things the way I want to, and it's like, yeah, since day one, like I, you know, I just, if I say it the way I want to and I let myself go, the problem is you hear how I talk, right? I will go on and on mm. and on and take you down a journey and this and that. So that is kind of a problem, but I get nervous. But once they start hitting each other, it's like, I'm getting hit again. I love it. I love watching Uh, them hit each other. I love watching them grapple. (laughs) They're brilliant out there. They're just, and to think of, I guess where I started and to think of where they are now, I just, it, it just, I don't know. I get all, that's where I get weepy. Just thinking about, we did it women. We fucking did it. Like, this is awesome. And then to think that we can't stop there. It's got to be bigger and better. Like for women in the sport, we've got to claim ourselves, you know, every single time, always. Um, because you don't, you can't just sit on your, you know, accomplishments. What was that? I said, I forgot yeah. it was to Jennifer McLaren. I'm saying her name wrong, but when we were, her 
book about the business of the UFC and the business of fighting. And I said, you know, you yeah. can't you can't just break the glass ceiling. You actually have to clean up the shards for the people behind you because oh, yeah, they're going to get cut. That's a great so, yeah, they're going to get cut. Like, it's not going to do you any good to have a bunch of bloody people around <laughs> until they fight. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they could probably still fight, but it's not going to be a pretty side. So exactly. maybe we want to do some cleaning up. Yeah, I actually like, started reading uh, McLaren's book, uh, just a, a couple of days ago. So I'm curious, uh, I'm, I'm interested to talk about that because the whole concept of the book, from my understanding, is kind of like the, uh, you know, yes, we've come a long way, but there is still, uh, when it comes to just women in the sport, a long way to go, right? And that's something mm-hmm. that I feel like we need to always keep in mind and that you talk about a lot. Uh, when we talked for my fan bite story, I sort of asked you a little bit about, you know, what, looking at the way things are now you liked and there was a lot to be liked, but all of the ways also that you felt um, we could still build upon. And one thing that you mentioned that I thought was really interesting is just like how fighters are still, uh, female fighters are still not that pressured to be, to be sexualized, right? Like not that it, there's anything wrong with like posting anything sexy or, or just doing whatever the fuck you want with your body. Um, I guess we're, it's been established we're both uh, pro that, uh, do you, boo? But the idea that women still need to market themselves in a sort of way, even now, mm-hmm. right? Like that's mm-hmm. still a thing that that that's prevalent in the sport. Yeah, and I, I and it's again, yeah, do you? Like, if that's how you're going to do it, great, go for it. But if you don't feel comfortable with that, you shouldn't be doing it. Like, mm-hmm. don't don't push it. It's already so hard. It's such a taxing sport. Don't put something of yourself out there that you're not comfortable putting out there because there's so much other ways you're going to be uncomfortable here, you know? Um, and that's, yeah, again, coming back, this is why I do love an all female platform because there are women mm-hmm. who are going to market themselves that way here. And there's women who are going to not market themselves this way here. And it's like, all are welcome, you know, do your thing. And it's, I never felt pressure from the UFC or strike force directly to be sexy or anything like that. Mm-hmm. But I mean, I didn't feel that from Bodog either. Although like in Bodog, they had, you know, videos of the ring girls doing, they would show the submissions. So you'd see them in like G strings, trying, you know, putting sloppy mm. armors on each other. It's just like, what the fuck is the point of this? Like you want this to be sexy. <laughs> I, yeah, I get it, but I don't get it really. Cause that's not an armbar. But anyway, um, <laughs> I know I was talking about them all the time. Technicalities. <laughs> they were always getting small was, details. <laughs> but you know, at the same time, it's like, I, I don't think, if women want to do that, I don't think we should, we should shy away from it or shame them. I do feel yeah. like, you know, it is an, not an easy way to market yourself. If you're one of the few female fighters on a card, not an easy way to market yourself exactly, but an easier thing for maybe a promotion to focus on is your sexuality or being pretty or being this, you know, it, it, because you're different looking than the other fighters on yeah. the card. If, if they're male fighters on the car, right? You're different looking. So you get to, you know, be in this. I don't know. I was never the sexy girl on any of them. Uh-huh. When I fought Carano, I was in the the locker room with the, um, with the ring girls myself. So that's where they put me. So, Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> you were with the ring girls? Yeah. There were a lot of stiletto heels in there. It was kind of, it was worrisome warming up. But... <laughs> <laughs> Because that's the thing, right? And that conversation is a bit of a minefield, at least to me, because 
I remember a while back, it was, I think, uh, Macy Chasson. I don't know if Mm -hmm. I said her name right, like was sort of talking about Valerie Lorita, like sort of, I don't want to say shaming, but like kind of, you know, just criticizing Valerie for being like uh, just this uh, sexy person on the internet. And uh, I was, I guess, on a podcast at the time. And the host asked me, like, how do you stand on this? And I'm like, this is such a difficult conversation. What what I stand with here is with both because I Mm -hmm. support Valerie's right and entitlement to her own body. Um, You know, PVZ is a person who has been historically criticized for making money off her Instagram. And it's like, girl, you need to make money of you need to make money however you can. This is such a short profession. And, and, you know, at the same time that the promotion is using her looks to promote her, like somehow that's okay, but it's shameful for her to use her own looks to promote Mm -hmm. herself. Like that makes no sense. Mm -hmm. So like my whole thing was like, no, I Valerie, can dude if she it's her body it's her instagram if she wants mm-hmm. to post pictures of her booty on her instagram good on her and if you don't want to look turn your back on that and at the same time i could kind of understand macy's frustration because uh while i don't think you should be blaming the woman uh mm-hmm. i do understand the frustration with the system in which uh you know being sexy or choosing to sort of use your looks uh is more rewarded than not doing that so it is a complicated situation, right? Like to me, at the end of the day, we should talk about, you know, dismantling and addressing the roots and why we we feel like women should be promoted that way. It's much more productive to do that than to shame any individual women mm-hmm. who are doing anything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I think it's sexy. Kind of, so they always say sex sells. It's not that sex sells. That sex is cheap. It's cheap to sell. That's and I'm not saying mm. the women who are being sexy are being cheap. Not at all. Yes. I'm saying that that's when the focus goes on that. And then you get surprised. Oh, and she's also a good fighter. It's just like, you don't have to be surprised by that. If they're fighting in the UFC, they better damn well be a good fighter or in Bellator. Yeah. Or, you know what I mean? Like, or Invicta. But Invicta, again, I think that the there's a there's a shift of the focus, which I appreciate so much. And it's yeah. why I'm here. Um, but yeah, but it's also like, it, it's, it's a cheap way for a promoter to go in there, you know, sexy girl, sexy girl, sexy girl. It's different. Mm-hmm. It's unusual. It's just like, except it's been done. So then you follow in the footsteps of somebody who has promoted themselves sexually or not promoted themselves sexually. That's fine. That's great. But you're also like, I don't know, like it, you, people should feel free to critique that not as a critique of mm-hmm. the woman necessarily critique the way she punches, but also they, if we're going to freely sell sexuality, then I guess we can freely critique sexuality, right? It's weird. Mm -hmm. Like, and I've talked about my coming from, I guess, internalized misogyny and how I didn't even know how bad it was or what I was espousing. I had no idea the things that I was saying and doing. It just didn't occur to me because I let other people form my thinking so I wouldn't have to do the hard thinking myself about those things, right? I mean, Mm -hmm. we all do that, but as a fighter, it was just like, okay, I'm just going to listen to what so-and-so is telling me because they know they speak with authority instead of just like examining things myself and thinking it through and talking out loud, thinking, thinking out loud, like I'm doing right now, but I don't know. Like, I just think it's a process. Yeah. Right. To, to unpack that within yourself too. Yeah. I just think if we leave fucking in the fun place, 
in bed or just outside of the cage where you're not going to get ringworm in strange places, <laughs> then you're just going to have much terrible visual. <laughs> I know. You're just going to have a lot more time with fighting or a lot more fun with mm. fighting, more of a fun time with fighting. I'm losing words myself right now. I'm like resisting the urge to burp. Cause I had a diet Dr. Pepper before this, but, but yeah, like, oh, you know, also keep... a burp friendly. <laughs> oh, good. <laughs> well, now it won't come out. Um, but yeah, I, mean, <laughs> I, I, I mean, it's weird because it's like ring girls. Like, again, that's a promotion on sexuality, right? It's a, a tradition that's carrying on blah, 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 or whatever. But I mean, it's like mm-hmm. we could electronically put scorecards up right now. Um, I love that Invicta mm-hmm. has ring card guys. Sometimes. Yeah. yeah, I love that. That's fun. But like. there's really no need for it at this point. Um, but also, I really like the people in the Invicta show who do it. They're great. They're great athletes themselves. They're nice people. You know, it's, it's super fun. Like, I, I I don't want people to lose their jobs if their job is based on yeah. sexuality or selling it. Stuff like that. I, don't want, I don't want porn stars to lose their jobs as long as they're healthy and safe. But same thing for fighters. Mm-hmm. I mean, but... I do think that fucking is not in the cage. It's outside of the mm-hmm. cage and it's like, let the sport, let the violence, violence and sex could be intertwined. But I think that's where like, that's, there's a lot of problems there. When those yeah. things get intertwined. <laughs> and it may, may, maybe we want to keep them separate. <laughs> yeah. Big problems with our society where they're way too intertwined. And it's like, you know, yeah. the more we can work to separate that out in people's mm-hmm. view of what's going on in this controlled voluntary violence happening in the cage. And if you can just Mm -hmm. take that away from sex, I think it sets a pretty good example, like for taking that away from sex in the real world. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I don't know. That's just wishful thinking maybe, but I just, I don't know. I don't know. I have no idea where I'm going with this. I'm, I'm promoting Invicta. <laughs> There's no sex in the cage in Invicta. Don't put that. Please, oh God, no. <laughs> That's not a good you thing to say. just got a great promo, Julie. <laughs> oh God. Invicta. No, no sex. sex in the cage. But uh, the athletes can be sexy, and a lot of them have done a lot of really, like, you know, um, like Pearl Gonzalez does some super exotic modeling shots. Like, you know, like, I don't mm-hmm. know. I, I guess I remember her little pearl necklace and stuff like that. And I'm not saying that in the pearl sex way, but you know, she, like, she, she played up with that and she played up with her sexuality and she does a really good job of that in marketing. And, um, it's, it's cool to see that too. Like, I think it's interesting. Yeah. I think it's cool to see somebody in their own space and their personality, whether it's sex or not sex, I, do their thing. I like that. Um, yeah. Let's just like not force it or like put it on people to have to do that in order to be promoted. Because I agree Mm -hmm. with you. Like when you say it's cheap, it's just easy, right? It's easier to promote a woman that way instead of like actually looking for things in her personality and ways in which you can market her beyond just the the low hanging fruit. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like how I I go about it. And the thing is, we are geared for low hanging fruit, right? I love the cheap joke. I mean, it's funny. But it's also like, I don't want a cheap joke at the expense of somebody who's going out there fighting their heart out for the people or for themselves mostly, but also for, you know, people watching. So I don't want them to be cheap jokes. Uh, They're amazing human beings. Um, Mm -hmm. 
one final thing before I let you go, Julie, because we also have another uh, big fight this Friday between two women whom I admire for different reasons, uh, Leslie Smith and Chris Cyborg. Leslie Smith is getting her rematch against Cyborg, who beat her in the UFC, and they're fighting in Bellator for their featherweight champion, which is not with Chris Cyborg. But uh, what I wanted to hear from you is like, as a Brazilian and as a person who has been following the sport for more than a decade, um, I really think that Chris is going to have this really important role in the history of of not just women's MMA, but not particularly when women's MMA. And yeah, I kind of wanted your opinion on that. Like, do you what do you think when it's all said and done, Chris Cyborg's, I guess, legacy in, in women's MMA is? Well, I think if there's a Mount Rushmore for women's MMA, Chris Cyborg's got to be on it. Right. Without mm -hmm. a doubt. I mean, her legacy for women's MMA is somebody who upheld their dignity when mm. some of the worst things in the world, like upheld her dignity, upheld her fighting spirit, you know, when some of the worst things the world was said about her or, or she was used in ways to promote this and that and the other thing, you know, I mean, again, I'm, I'm a Ronda Rousey fan, not necessarily of every single thing she said, but I thought she was of course. very cool. And, but I mean, we can't deny that she started her career calling out Chris Cyborg. I mean, she, she did that. Like she started there mm -hmm. and that, and started getting all this attention and, you know, eventually started fighting in her own, which I think she's a, she a bantamweight was her weight class right rousey um but chris cyborg has done so much for women in the sport not just in the cage and not just with her her famousness is famousness a word with her fame um but just outside of that i mean she she runs seminars for women you know she teaches classes she's an incredible role model and i know people out there immediately say oh but a drug test in 2011 that had something to do Ugh. with birth control or you know it's just like fuck you guys like <laughs> all your favorite fighters are probably on steroids i don't know i don't care i don't care about steroids in the sport as much as i used to i probably should that's not my problem at the moment. Like my, yeah. my problem is telling the story of incredible mm -hmm. people. And Chris Cyborg is one of those incredible people. And she has faced mm -hmm. other incredible people. And I think Leslie Smith is another one. Leslie Smith is another one of those people who's a hero outside of what she's doing in the cage, yeah. but still delivers in the cage, you know, like, I mean, mm -hmm. she's her push for unionization, her push, her refusal to be quiet um, in the face of unfairness. I love it. I, I, mm -hmm. You know, I, I, as a, a fight, I, I know Chris had the upper hand before because Leslie was usually fighting at um, bantamweight, but I think she's pretty settled into featherweight. She looks like she's in fantastic shape. So mm -hmm. I don't know. And they're both Invicta vets. So I'm cheering for both of them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh Thank you so much, Julie, for being here today already. It took us so, so much of your time. I guess before we leave, is there anything you wanna you want our listeners to read, listen to, watch? I would imagine Invicta this weekend, but yes, uh, yes just plug please, away. Please tune into Invicta this weekend. You know, it starts uh, 8 p.m. Eastern time. The entire card, the prelims, the main event, everything's available on YouTube, but also Access TV. If you're in the States, you have Access TV, please watch through that um let's get those ratings up keep me employed please um, but also you know keep these keep this promotion i don't know I, I it's a new direction for us but i said this before you know shannon chose a phoenix as kind of the symbol of this show and it's emblematic of all women right 
Like we are just always going to rise again and you're going to see it happen this weekend. So yeah, uh, starts 8 p.m. Eastern time. It's the first Invict on cable TV in the U.S. That's pretty exciting for us. And uh, I'm really grateful that I'm still here and that you guys are still listening. Thank you so much, Julie. Uh, Thank thank you. you everyone at home for listening to me. Thank you to all female fighters everywhere for being badass and putting yes. up with a lot of crap <laughs> to be able to uh, be where you are. This has been the best camp of my life. See you all next week. Bye.